Welcome to the Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trust and estates, business succession and exit planning, law practice technology, management, and leadership. First of all, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory Housing and Business Centers, and Carson Private Client. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Zach Ritchie with Private Wealth Asset Management. Zach assists families with complex wealth in avoiding unintended consequences of their critical decisions. He works with business owners and entrepreneurs to assist with multi-generational wealth transfer planning, sales transactions, complex cash flow, tax planning, and intentional philanthropic planning. In 2022, Zach was recognized in Forbes magazine as a top next-gen wealth advisor. He's rated number 26 in America and number one in Nebraska. He proudly supports a variety of organizations, including Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, and serves on the board of Child Savings Institute. Zach joined me on a previous episode titled Preserving Prosperity, Mastering Multi-Generational Wealth Transfer. And during that episode, we were just chatting along and kind of decided it would be great to do a follow-up, follow-up episode 
and we've titled that Raising Healthy, Wise Families with Wealth. Thanks for joining me again today, Zach. Thanks a lot, Mary. I'm glad to be here. And I think this is going to be a really fun topic because I just welcomed our first son or my wife, Sarah, and I welcomed our first son into the world uh, very recently. So we'll be thinking about our own ways to raise healthy uh healthy families and, and into into wealth and and how to how to discuss that so well, congratulations by the way i didn't know that that's totally awesome like a totally fun little life period right it really is it's everybody's awesome. healthy and all that everybody's healthy awesome so we spoke about specific wealth transfer strategies the last time we chatted today we're going to talk a little bit more about what we refer to as legacy planning before we go down that path Can you just remind me why you think estate planning is a crucial component of family wealth strategy? Well, I think it's so important because it's really the roadmap for your wealth. Uh, We all use Google Maps. We use Waze um, all the time to tell us where we're going to go from one destination to another. The estate plan is the same thing. It really just defines where you want your wealth to go. And as you know, with those apps, you can put different stops on the way. It doesn't always have to be a plan that comes into place at the time of your death. It's the journey from where you are today, multiple different stops, and what the legacy looks like after that. Sometimes I think we should call it life planning instead of estate planning, because that's what you're saying is, it's not just, hey, you're dead and this is what happens, but you might be incapacitated or you might have a child who develops a disability or you might have a child who's a genius and needs something different or any of these number of things that happen. And sometimes they say, well, when I'm dead, I, I, I might care, but I probably won't care. But what happens during life is as big a part of the plan as what happens at death. So can we talk about, I think we talked about that as legacy planning. Can you tell me how you would define what legacy planning is? So it goes back to what you just said. So I said, um, you know, when you think about legacy planning, really most people think of it as what you're going to leave behind at death. But really what I think it is, is it can be started right now. What are you building through your own plan um, or what you're leaving behind in your current day-to-day path? I mean, are you going to leave behind a a memory? Are you going to leave behind a business? liquid investments, a charitable cause. It's really defined by that person what their legacy might be. And it can be any number of different things, right? I I would just share that I had a total joy because I love, and I was just thinking of this as I was reading your profile, and that is about philanthropy, which I just love being a part of, and had a client who didn't exit late last year. And with for them, they wanted to help as many people as possible, pay off mortgages, pay off student loans, do think that's what they want to leave as their legacy as we're a couple of people who decided to really help people be able to own a, an affordable home and raise their children in it, which I thought was really cool. But the, so that was the legacy that they want to leave. And others might leave, you know, sometimes a sign some clients I've worked with have left some contribution to science, some kind of cure for some type of illness or any number of things, but it might even be simpler than that. But let's talk about wealth preservation. What do you mean when we talk about that aspect of the legacy planning? Yeah, I was thinking about this. So wealth wealth preservation many times is used to define a certain type of portfolio strategy or 
asset allocation. Um, you know, I want to be conservative. So can you put me in a asset protection or wealth preservation strategy? I hear that a lot. That's really the first one, but I've, I've heard wealth preservation used when describing preserving wealth for future generations. I think that's really what we're talking about today. How do we preserve what we have now for the future or how do we want to really take a piece of what we have now? And we're really comfortable with preserving that for future generations or getting that out of our current estate or having plans outside of our own use today. How do we preserve that or grow that for the future? That's what I really feel like um, that means. And let's say that, you know, both of us deal often with families with wealth and one of their challenges, especially for senior family members is what should I really share with my family members about my wealth and at what point? So what do you think is important and how does that work? Yeah, I think it's, it's really important to start as early as you're comfortable, but a lot of times in, in my experience, there really is no comfortable time to start having the conversations. And I think it takes more an, an approach where you take, you don't think about how, how do we share everything all at one time, share this, this big plan and show our whole balance sheet and really tell our, our family about every last thing that seems challenging to a lot of families to take that big step. And guess what happens? Nothing. No conversations happened. We have a lot of families that are, are, you know, left in the dark or worried or, or there to guess about what their family's wealth. So I think it's it's best to start early, but you peel back different subjects. Um, uh, which, which areas do you want to start on? Do we want to talk about our legacy plan or our estate plan or our current balance sheet now? Do we want to talk about education gifting? You know, our family has started an education goal for our, our children. How do we, how do we describe that? Our commitment towards that piece. So I think that's really important to think about. Um, but I, I would, I would really say that it's all about your habits that you're showing your kids today. So the earlier you can start about being the best example for them, that's how you, those next conversations are going to be easier and easier. And kind of what I like you said is, is starting, right? So I think what I heard you say is, if you look at it as, oh my gosh, not ready to disclose everything. And I'm thinking about, I have a situation where a family went through an exit and transitioned from owning a business to having significant wealth. And I was discussing various strategies with the family members. And so their 19 year old son was on his way home and they invited me to stay for dinner, which I did. And dad says, he goes to me, he goes, well, you know, I want you to actually talk about, don't use any numbers, but I just want you to talk. I'm going to ask you some questions. And I went, and it was really funny because the 19 year old the whole time was like looking at his phone, but you could tell he was listening. And at one point he looked up and asked me like a great question. And we didn't share any details of, you know, the numbers or the overall plan, but just discussed some of the things that were important. And I thought that was at least great as a first stop. We talk a lot about like family meetings, which some clients are happy to engage in and some aren't. I kind of approach it from the same strategy as it's not, it doesn't have to be about disclosing everything, just starting to have the conversation. 
Are you an advocate of that concept? And what are your thoughts on what that should look like? Very big advocate, Mary. It's just depends, really depends on that client. So what's going to be the comfort for it, the comfort level? When someone's willing to have a family meeting or they like the idea, you have to almost, you you have to pre pre prep for that meeting. Uh, It takes a lot of prep work with the family of what you want to discuss, what's going to be disclosed, what's going to be shared, what do they want to lead versus what do they want uh, a team of professionals like my team to lead. So you create this game plan for it. So I'll just give you an example. Maybe it's best to tell a story. So one of my most recent family meetings, we had prepped for this. Um, we had, we were going to fly up and, and uh, meet with this family really on an off, off-site visit. Two of the family members are in college. The other one's um, a senior in high school. It's a really, relatively younger family, but they're generation four of wealth. I mean, they really understand that their family comes from a lot of wealth. It's passed through generations, and then we need to start early and talking about it. But the family had never really understood how to describe all of their future interests and trusts from previous generations. What are they doing now currently for them? But they were concerned that maybe they didn't do a good enough job to even tell the story to the children of where the wealth actually was created. So going back um, almost 100 plus years to think about where that story started. So that's what we were going to cover over the course of a whole day is one section was where did this wealth come from? The next section Let's understand how this wealth passes to your family and what your what your interests are as well. Then another section was about their philanthropic goals. The family had done a large contribution into their own donor advised fund that they want them as a family to decide every year and this for a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars a year where's that's going where that's going to go. So we vote together as a family where where that would went. And then from education planning, what did each one of them use from their 529 plans that mom and dad gave to what are, uh, what's going to be funded outside of their other trusts to fund their lifestyle and thinking about their own personal financial planning. So they, they all have their own credit cards. Now they pay that off. They have their own investment accounts and we have those separate discussions with them. So it's a, a full day, different types of subject matters where we can really focus on that and have the kids have a voice that's heard. And even parts of it, we didn't even have mom or dad there. They you know, went to a different room or they went to go break for their own piece. So we could just have a, an opportunity for the kids to have their voice. But this same thing happens with 30, 40, 50, 60 year old um, children. We have a family that um, their their grown adult children are on every single one of our our calls. Every single one of our um, meetings are are with us, and the same thing happens. We go through all the different subject matters for that specific client. What's going on in their families that they're willing to share uh, um, uh, together as a group, and then we have you know, separate meetings if they wanted to share something that's on their mind. But it's really good. It it provides a good foundation of 
becoming good stewards of wealth. You don't have to think about this uh, every single day. I think if you approach this in in a way where it's a family board boardroom every quarter or once a year, where you all come together, we know what the cadence looks like. These are our subjects we're going to cover as an agenda. And then the rest of the time, we're just, we're happy family. Let's think about the fun things in life rather than having to be um, thinking about finances or guessing what your inheritance might be in the future. Those type of things. I think it's good to just continuously talk about it, but segregate that that time to really focus on it at specific times of the year. And I think you said the educational component, and I see that like in some of my family meetings, and they may start, we're not ready to talk about the how much yet. Okay, that's great. Um, But what you don't want to do is go clear down the road, and all of a sudden, you know, you've been just writing checks for your kids, and they're now in their mid-30s, and they don't have any ability to manage investments or really understand the wealth. So what I see is a lot of times, and of course, and I think this is going to be true for both of us, based on the family's objectives, the way to do it's going to be different for every family. There's not a template that, hey, this is the way you do this, because it's really, what are the family dynamics? And I think what you said early on is, where is the wealth from? And how does that work? And you know, what is what do the members who accumulated the wealth want to do with it? And there's a difference between a first generation passing it on and the example you gave where you're on four generations, right? So I just want to kind of point out there's no template in terms of that, but like some education. So I think I heard you say like investment accounts. So I've seen in most places that invest will allow you just set up accounts for your kids with even small amounts if you have some younger kids, but they get to talk to the investment advisor directly and start to understand the process of investing. And it might be a conversation about estate planning. Hey, if you're 19, you ought to have a healthcare power of attorney in place. So there's somebody that can deal with issues if you know, you're off at college and something happens or whatever the case might be. So I kind of like to say, well, at least let it be a process. And back to your early point, if it's not some steps so we try and pick off pieces that are if it's just talking about healthcare powers of attorney if that's what we're ready to do as a family making it as simple as possible we are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors if you had a dollar for every financial advisor that just wanted your money your financial future would already be secure at foster group our team is different one whose focus is on you and your dreams Together, we'll create a strategy that helps you get there, wherever there is for you. Foster Group, your financial life, truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. But let's talk about, you talked a little bit about philanthropy. Is that discussion and social responsibility, I assume, again, that kind of goes to objective basis, but what's the role of that in doing some of the family legacy planning? I've just found in in all the families that I've worked with, uh, a big, big portion of them have been philanthropic and has led them to create those good stewards of wealth to have family discussions on how we give back to a certain cause or a mission, or you even have your own family mission. But I've also found that it's okay to not 
be philanthropic too. I think a lot of people that have come into a significant amount of wealth, we're talking about philanthropic strategies and we're saying this could help you with taxes and um, you, you can't force a family into being philanthropic. I've found that some recent families that have grown their wealth and spent their whole life from going to zero to in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars. They felt like they worked for every, every dollar of that. And they were just not ready at that time to think about how they, they were going to gift gift assets away. Well, and frankly, they're paying taxes. And so they can look at it as, you know, to the extent they're contributing a lot of tax dollars to your system. It's not the same as philanthropy, but they're contributing, right? So that's what I hear sometimes. And like you, it's that goes back to the objectives. Some people are very philanthropic, some are not. There's some strategies that can achieve tax savings, even for somebody who is not. And we've talked about that a little bit. But, but at the core of it, they have to be they have to be philanthropic. Yeah, for it um, to make sense. There's still going to be some tax benefit, but at the end of the day, there's dollars that go towards towards a certain cause. So I, I really like, um, I'll have to send this to you, or maybe you can share it somehow. But it's a, it's a graph that I, I've used in multiple parts of life, but also with thinking about your family mission. So it's really defining your mission, your vocation, your passion, and how that really leads to purpose. And there's an overlap between all of these things. And I think if you go through that process, you might even look at that in the lens of your family mission. But if you go through that process, you might have a good feeling, well, am I really philanthropic or what is my true mission to solve for? And you start there. You don't start with how much money can I save on taxes? What what stock should I give away that's most highly appreciated? You know, let's let's start with what means the most and where do you think the most impact can be? And then there's so many different charitable vehicles to be used based upon those goals. But I do find a lot of clients go backwards. They say, tell me the the best way to get the most dollars out of out of this. And I'm like, well, we're just at the core. Where, where do you want this to go? Have you discussed with your family what this means? And uh, I think the families that have done it right, like that other family I was telling you about earlier, that even, you know, I even know their, I guess their grandma now or the, the mom, so somewhere the second generation, she gives and she doesn't tell a single soul about it. You can't even find her name anywhere in the community of what she's given to. That's her way of you know, selfless giving. But some people really want to have a, a legacy or their family is, is known for this type of gift or a cause that they were very passionate about. So defining how you want that to look is a is a part of that whole plan. Because I might want my name on a building. Yeah, if you want your name on a building. And that's fine. And then you fine. have the anonymous person. And I don't care about my name on the building. I just want to like travel as much as humanly possible between now and the day that I die. And I don't care about anything else, right? That might be another family. But I but the point I like that you're making is that the first discussion with any family should be, who are you and what do you want to accomplish with your wealth? What are your objectives? As opposed to, I think sometimes it's really easy as advisors to just make assumptions that of course they want to save taxes. And I've had clients say, I really don't care about that. The tax world is, that's the you know minority, not the majority, but 
occasionally I've had a client say, Mary, I did well, so I'm going to pay taxes. So what? And I'm like going aghast going, no, of course you are. Okay. And then you might have another client, but so it doesn't matter what those are, except that it's important that we as advisors really have those conversations and get clear about it. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. And I think you, you can back in through projections and what a client needs and what, um, you know, the, the future might look like, let's, let's just say that someone sold their company for a hundred million. And at the end of the day, their liquidity is somewhere around 65 or 70 million through all the things that we were able to do. Okay. They're 50 years old now having the discussion, their kids, if no plan was, was enacted other than we're going to create an era of trust, we're going to put as much as we can exemption amount, let that grow for the future. Let's just say their kids at age 50, were getting a hundred million each. I'm just creating a number here. Is that scary to you that your kids could have access to that much money outright or just through health education, maintenance support, or the the normal ways to, to be able to access that money? A lot of clients, when you project out that far in the future, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What am I doing here again? Um, I set up all these trusts and I just don't feel like I, I might have looked far enough in the future to get that answer. That's where I think philanthropy can can be a big piece as well. Maybe that, that dollar amounts too much or you don't want to really rule from the grave. You, you just want the wealth. You want good stewards of wealth and for them to do the right thing with the, with the money that could last through generations. The philanthropic part as a big portion or a small portion to have family involvement long-term with how to decide together as a family, how do we uh, represent the legacy or the mission of, of the family with the gifting that that's, I think that is where philanthropy is done very successful and helps create good stewards of of wealth long-term. Well, I think I'm going to make a point on the philanthropy that just occurred to me as we're chatting, which is that when you are choosing, if you are doing philanthropic type things, you want the charities that you're supporting or causes that you're supporting to be good stewards of wealth too. And that's one of the reasons for looking at the donor advised fund that has the ability to have some succession or a private foundation so that you can continue to evaluate because charities change just like any other you know, organization that exists. Well, let's take a minute and just talk about the professionals that are involved in this and how that should work for a family member, family with wealth. Yeah, it's a a big team. And if it's done the right way, um, there's a lot of really trusted advisors around that family. So I think about for that family, they're, they're probably looking at having a family office advisor or a lead advisor that really understands their whole picture. That's the role that private wealth plays and, and what I play for our families. And then we're looking at their other professionals, their tax professionals, their, um, their legal professionals like you, Mary, whether that's within their own business or with, whether it's in their own estate plan. You've got portfolio managers. We've got a client that has eight different financial advisors. That That's okay. Um, each one of them does something different for their portfolio, but they're 
they're money managers, right? They might not know their whole the whole picture. So that's a that's a part of a family. Um, community foundations or charitable organizations. Who's the point per- person there? Um, bankers. We always know some. A lot of these complex families have a relationship with a bank. Do you do, do they have that built out? Um, insurance professionals. PNC really think about the risk of that family. Do they have everything covered on that front? Might, they might not have any life insurance, but they do have uh, property and casualty insurance. And is that done the right way? Or do they want to self-insure? Uh, the list can get long, but having a family that really feels like they are the general manager and then they have a good quarterback or a good head coach that, can manage all the players or all of these trusted advisors. So everyone's moving in the right direction. I think that's critical for successful families. And I think an important point is because some people will hear the word family office and think I need to have billions and billions of dollars to have a family office. And that's not correct, right? What really a fam- the concept of family office is that we have a connected group of advisors and that might be a virtual family office. It might be you and I, an account insurance advisor who share a client. And what we do is we make sure we're collaborating so that we're bringing the best of each of us to the table for that client. Is that a fair way to couch that? But personally, um, absent for me, I learned a long time ago that the last thing I wanted to happen is have a client talk to you and relay to you what I said. And then they come back to me and, well, Zach said, you don't know what you're talking about. But it's because by the time, you know, that old game of telephone or whatever it was that happens. So I really like to get all the advisors either on a Zoom call or in the room at least once a year, some families more often, but it doesn't take billions of dollars to have it make sense to have your advisors connect and bring all of the brains that you've hired together in the same space at least once a year so that you're really getting their best efforts. Right. And I think that's what private wealth's goal is, is to be the outsourced family office for 50 households um, here in Omaha. So you can't do it. You can't do it for 300 families and expect to really run a good family office. It has to be for a small, small group. But yeah, the phone tag is terrible. Um, you can't get anything done. Nobody really is giving the right advice because they don't know what's going on within the whole picture of that, that family and the complexities within. I mean, Mary, there's technology now that we can easily share things if the client allows us to within their personal financial planning uh, vault. We have we build out very detailed file folders that we share with their other professionals. So we're all on the same page. Do we have a normal cadence that we're all on and aware of for the client? And does the client feel like they are getting the best advice in all these subject matter areas? And then their team comes together and says, this is the reason why these are our top two or three ideas. We're going to educate you about it. But ultimately, they feel in control of that decision. Rather than they get all this information, they've got to compile it on their own and then hopefully make the right decisions along the way. That that doesn't typically work out. Either no decisions made or sometimes bad decisions are made or those unintended consequences we talked about earlier are made if there's not um, the connectivity between the team. And um, I'm constantly trying to educate people on that. 
I've got a number of clients that it works very well for. And I have, I have people that still are managing their own team on their own and they like it. They, they like to have their hands in it. I think, I think what we're talking about is the client can still be in control and that general manager, they just have a really good head coach that can put all of this together so they can still make the best decisions possible. So whoever the quarterback, and a lot of times it is you, and we always appreciate that as lawyers, by the way, but it can also be the client, but somebody's quarterbacking and there's a collaboration. Right. And, and that's what matters. In other family offices, you can define them as very active investors. They might even have their own investment company built out. Um, that's where I think a lot of people think only family, family offices play very active owning operating companies, building out that. Um, that's not always the case. It, it certainly can be, but that family could also uh, outsource in a, in a different way, build that team around their family. So we can maybe define family office as bringing together a group of collaborative advisors to help you with your legacy planning. Yeah. Something like that. Well, you have any last thoughts today, Zach? I don't think so, Mary. This has been great. I, I really appreciate it. It's something I'm super passionate about. Every single family has something unique to them. That's what we have to do as professionals is hear out what's different to them and create a plan that works for them, whether that's within legacy planning, their estate plan, how to educate other family members, how to build out the right type of family office for them. It's all a little bit different, but I really do appreciate you having me on today and um, us continue to educate people out there. I really appreciate your sharing today. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory, and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. The Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries podcast is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.